Welcome to the Antioch Community Church Podcast. We are a church located in the downtown Birmingham area where we desire to be with and like Jesus and help others do the same for the glory of God. We hope today's message encourages and challenges you. Hear the words of the Lord from the book of Hebrews, chapter 3, verse 7, chapter 4, verse 7. Therefore, it is the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, They always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who are those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said, so I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his words were worked were finished for the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. God entered, God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day today, saying, Through David so long afterward, in the words already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given the rest, had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest, the 
has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to keep it that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. This is the word of the Lord. You ever, you ever feel like giving up? How's that for a sermon intro? Um, I've gone ahead and I've made you a short list of things that I've already given up on in life. Uh, the first is being a morning person. Uh, the week of prayer will prove this to you. Uh, second thing is playing an instrument. I think I get bonus points because I've actually given up on more than one instrument. Uh, I've given up on a lot of different sports. Some because I was bad at them. Others I actually read as I was getting good at them. Um, countless Bible reading plans. I'm sure no one can relate here. Right? And even, even having a career as a freelance copywriter. Yep. I... Uh, I took a class, I got a couple gigs, and then I earned below minimum wage, and I quit. I gave up. But there, there are more serious things in life, right, that, that we may have also given up on. Uh, and, and perhaps you may be on the edge of actually giving up on these things right now. So school, right? School is it's so hard, and it costs so much money, um, and it makes me so stressed. Is it even worth it? Or uh, you might be thinking, my marriage, my marriage makes me more unhappy than happy. My life, my life is awful. Everything has gone wrong. Or uh, there's this, there's just this one sin that I can't kill, and I'm just wondering if I should just give in. Christianity, my faith, isn't, isn't appealing to me anymore. And so maybe it's just time to, to move on from Jesus and his church. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, I think that we are actually closer, more close than we let on in a lot of respects to giving up on all sorts of different things. Or at least, you know, we feel, we feel that pull. Um, you know, you feel that tug to just give up, to stop fighting, to lay down your arms. Um, and the temptation to give up, it, it just seems like it's, it's always in front of us for so many things. But perseverance in anything, perseverance in anything, it's not done by coasting or autopilot or cruise control. It's accomplished, it's accomplished by making the decision every single day not to quit and to keep going. That's why we admire, you know, those who endure through hardships and storms, who, who kept the course with endurance, because it just it just goes against our natural brain. You know, that's why we, we make movies and we write books about these sorts of things, right? When, when they should have given up, when we would have given up, they didn't. And so we'd celebrate them with a movie or a book. Uh, in October of 2014, I made the mistake of agreeing to, paying for, and running a marathon. Um, it's 26.2 miles, and it was almost four and a half hours of running. Um, and they tell you, they tell you that when you run a marathon, it feels like you're actually running two races that they put on top of each other. The first is the first 20 miles, and then that second race that just seems like it never ends is those last six miles. Uh, except 
I hit that wall a little early. I hit it around mile 18. And in fact, I have a, I have a very, very vivid memory. Somewhere around, yeah, mile 18. And I remember thinking, Alex, if you ever want to run a marathon again, remember this moment and don't sign up. <laughs> um, and I haven't so far. Uh, but, I, but I did finish. I did finish the marathon. I, I did accomplish it. And it, what honestly felt like against all odds. Um, but why am I so proud of that? Even even if I don't have a 26.2 sticker on my car, right? Because it took it took everything in me not to stop everything. And so the, the point is this: perseverance perseverance is not natural in any way. Giving up is natural. Endurance is is not our default, but, but quitting quitting is our default. And I think if you were honest with yourself, you would probably agree with me too. And it's, it's not different in our spiritual lives. D.A. Carson writes that we do not drift towards holiness. And so, you know, to carry on the analogy, instead of drifting, we, we have to paddle upstream towards holiness. You know, are there, are there lyrics that you have connected with more in the Christian life than the ones from Come Thou Fount that say, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. And so the author of Hebrews, he's, he's writing to what is, is likely just a small house church who has decided to follow Christ, to, to commit themselves to being with Jesus and like Jesus. And somewhere along the way, it, it, it became difficult for them. The evidence that we have seems to imply that there was some pressure they had to renounce their faith and return to Judaism. And so culturally and socially, it was, it was just easier, honestly, to, to be Jewish than it was to be part of a, a new sect that was committed to following this controversial rabbi who was killed by the rebels who claimed to be God. And we, we can't blame them, right? Like, today in the university and in our workplaces, it's easier to be a secular naturalist instead of a Christian. And, you know, perhaps at one time it was more beneficial culturally to be a Christian, but not anymore. It's a you feel that pull sometimes just to, to give in, to give up. Because I do. So the writer of Hebrews, he gives them this wonderful letter to tell them just how incredible Jesus really is. He says that he came from heaven, but he's even better than the angels. He says uh, that Moses led the people of Israel out of slavery, but Jesus is better than him too. So then he says that Joshua got to lead God's people into the promised land, but he's not as great as Jesus. And the sacrifices, the priests, and the law, well, Jesus is so much better than those because Jesus is the sacrificial lamb and the high priest who makes sacrifices, makes the sacrifice to satisfy the law. Jesus is just better. That's, that's the whole message of Hebrews. But this perspective, it can be really hard to see in the midst of persecution, and suffering and pressures and hardships because when all of those filters are put in front of you, Jesus starts to look pretty blurry. And so here's what the writer does in chapter 3, starting in verse 7. He uses an Old Testament story to warn them and to encourage them not to give up. Because if they give up, yes, their life may be a bit easier now, but, but casting aside Jesus also brings with the consequences of shedding the promises of Jesus too. The, re the reward of entering God's eternal rest. And so for the author of Hebrews, that's a really big deal. It's a really big deal. So he tells them, do not be like the generation that was 
free, but when freed from slavery, they wandered in the desert for 40 years. They saw God's mighty work and His kindness and His mercy, and yet they hardened their hearts against Him, and they never got to enter the promised land. And the same fate can come to you, He warns. Instead, He says, persevere until the end and enter God's rest. That, that's the thrust of this passage. So my, my message is simple today, too. Don't give up. Don't give up because Jesus is worth it. And this message of not giving up, it comes in sort of three vehicles along the way. Uh, first, a warning. It comes in a warning. It comes in an encouragement. And it comes in a promise. A warning, an encouragement, and a promise. So first it comes in a warning. Let's go ahead and read verses uh, 7 through 12 again. It says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation, and I said, They always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. So the passage that he quotes in from verses uh, 7 to 11, it's actually a quotation from Psalm 95 that is telling the story that's outlined in Exodus. So here I am explaining Hebrews, which is quoting Psalms, which is referencing Exodus. So you can go home after church and when your roommate asks, oh, what was the sermon about? You can say, oh, Alex talked about Hebrews, we talked about Psalms, we talked about Exodus. Uh, okay, but actually this is, this is super interesting. Uh, it's really interesting the way that the author goes about it, because let me, let me show you the biblical interpretation that he uses um, to make his warning, and then how he proves that warning stands for us as well. So first, notice this. He does not say that David wrote. He says, the Holy Spirit says. So notice the, the dual authorship that he prescribes here. Yeah, sure, David, King David wrote the psalm, but now the Holy Spirit, who inspired David, is speaking to us through his word now. This is what he says in chapter 4, verse 12, that the word of God is living and active. Because this psalm was originally meant to be a warning to Israel in David's day that they would not be like the wilderness generation who walked on dry ground through the Red Sea, that ate the manna that God provided for them miraculously, miraculously uh, and that they still said it would be better for us if we had stayed slaves in Egypt. So King David tells the nation of Israel, today, if you hear God's voice, don't be like they were. And so the writer of Hebrews argues that because the Holy Spirit inspired this verse in Psalms, and because God's word is living and active, the logical conclusion is that the today, in the phrase, today, if you hear God's voice, is actually still present tense for us, even though he was written in another time and place. And we know this because uh, we, because in verse 13, he says, as long as it is still called today. Uh, and then not to mention the whole first half of Hebrews uh, chapter 4, he's basically arguing that today is still quite literally today. So now, he's done all of the hard work here of showing how God is indeed actively speaking to us through his word. He's now able to connect the warning from Psalm 95 to readers in the present day. So he warns them. Do not harden your hearts like they did. 
What a, what a tragedy that the people of God, the followers of Moses, they were so angry at God in the midst of their deliverance that they actually turned on him and refused to believe or obey him. And I want to show you what he's talking about because Psalm 95, he's talking about an episode that happens in Exodus, in Exodus 17. And I just, I just want to read you briefly what happens and why he is talking about the way they harden their hearts. It says uh, that all of the congregation of the people of Israel, they moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages according to the commandment of the Lord, and they camped at Rephidim, where but there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? And then you know what happens next? God kindly gives them water through a miracle to show you that he is provided. But then the story ends. Uh, right as it's finishing, uh, it says that Moses called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Egypt and because they test the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Do you see the, the, and feel like the harshness and the hardness of heart that Israel had towards God? God delivers them from their enemies, where they went from being slaves to not having to work for their food. But as soon as they get thirsty, they ask, does God even care? And one of, one of the saddest parts of my Christian life has been watching people I know give up along the way. So when I was in high school, I remember very vividly, some, I think we were at some sort of camp or something, or someone came and spoke to a youth group, and they said, look around you. They said, look around at the people who are in this youth group with you. In a few years, most of you will not be following Jesus. And I remember thinking, yeah, right. You know, like we're, we're a small, tight-knit youth group. We're not like those megachurch youth groups where people just kind of play Xbox, you know? Like, we're, we, were, we were real. Well, guess what? I can only think of one other person from that youth group that today is still a follower of Jesus. And honestly, and I had a few youth pastors through the days. I'm not even sure some of those youth pastors are still Christians. And they didn't all fall away for the same reasons. You know, some got swept up into drugs and alcohol, but some it just became really successful. And they climbed the corporate ladder, and the love of money and success just squeezed out the love of Jesus and their desire for him. Some just wanted to sleep with their boyfriend or their girlfriend and couldn't see why Jesus was worth the wait. So I moved on to college and attended a Christian university. And I thought, oh, surely people will fall away here, right? These are committed Christians. Why else would you agree to go into debt for the rest of your life paying for private Christian education if you're not serious about it, right? <laughs> yep. <Yeah. laughs> um, well, my, my own roommate in college left the faith. Uh, Kevin and I, we were in a program to train pastors, and even this cohort was not untouched. You know, some people, they simply just stopped believing, and others, they, they, they never made it into ministry uh, because they found a lot more money and, along the way. They enjoyed drinking with their friends and just uh, giving up on the life of ministry, and they just stopped believing the promises of Jesus. So then I went to seminary, right? And you probably know how this goes. <laughs> Some gave it up. They, they hardened their heart in disbelief and disobedience for whatever reason, and they walked away from Jesus. And at first, if I'm honest, it made, it made me doubt too, because I thought, is Jesus not good or powerful or worth it? Or 
know, why are these people giving up? Do they, do they know something that I don't know? I mean, some of, some of these people were even the ones who, like, encouraged me in my own faith. And so, does that mean that this is a lie or something? Um, but then I remember, then I remember that Jesus, if Jesus himself predicts this, uh, this very thing when he tells the parable of the seed being sown. And so he says that the gospel is like seed being sown, and some fell upon the path, as eaten by birds, some falls on the rocky ground, and it dies uh, because it had no depth, and then some were sown among the thorns, and eventually got choked out, while um, you know, only some fell on good soil. So listen to his explanation of this parable from Matthew 13. He says, When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what, this is what was sown on the path. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, and immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, in another thirty. And so you can hear the, the writer of Hebrews saying, do not be like the seed that has no root or that is choked out by thorns. Endure a little bit longer and prove to be the good soil. He warns you not to give up because there are real significant consequences for abandoning Jesus. The prize at the end of the finish line, eternal rest and joy with Christ, is only available to those who make it. Just like there are consequences for quitting a job or a relationship or... Uh, you know, school, there are, there are consequences for abandoning the living God. God says that if you harden your heart, you will not enter his rest, and a just judgment for sin awaits. And I, and I don't mean to be harsh, but only to relay the, the, the sober warning that this passage gives. But it's not, the warning is not meant to scare you into obedience. It's meant to put things into perspective after our suffering and our doubt has sort of recalibrated our hearts to, to see things wrongly. It's meant to instill a, a healthy fear that is similar to the way that a skydiver fears to ensure their parachute is working before they jump out of a plane. Right? They, they double check, they triple check everything before they do it because they can't afford not to. And so we cannot afford to harden our hearts if we want to make it to the end. The author of the hymn, Come Thou Fount, Robert Robinson, who wrote those words, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love, apparently did just that by some accounts. It's hard to tell exactly what happened because he lived a long time ago, but there are stories that he actually became a Unitarian. He denied the divinity of Christ as an unhappy and miserable man. And is that not the same temptation that the, the writers, uh, or I'm sorry, the recipients of this letter face? To cast off Jesus for something else. And it's, it's the same for, for you and me. So today, so today, as you hear his voice, as you hear his voice, he is speaking even now, this very moment, as you listen to the warning of God, the, the warning that God gives his people in Hebrews. I, I beg you, do not harden your hearts and walk away from the living God, as he says. 
because, because he, is, he is full of grace and mercy and kindness, just as he was to the wilderness generation. But they were full of disobedience and disbelief that they could only say, as they drank the food and water he provided them, is the Lord among us or not. But he doesn't just warn them. He doesn't just warn them. He also encourages them. He encourages them. He encourages us. Verse 13 says, But exhort one another, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And then in uh, chapter 4, verse 11, it says, Let us strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Have you noticed that it's a lot harder to give up on someone on something when someone is encouraging you not to? So I left out a major detail of my marathon story. I had a running partner. The only way I can ever do any sort of consistent exercise in my life is if I have someone to do it with. Otherwise, it just gets too hard, I get too tired, and I quit. Ben and I trained for 500 miles for that marathon. We uh, had four days a week before, uh, before work to run for about six months or so. Um, and this dude, his job was sports ministry. So, like, he was whipping me into shape. And he was scheduling my runs. He was buying that, like, running goose stuff that you eat on your runs. He was using his watch to, like, time our, time our runs and, like, get the mileage. And then on, uh, his wife, actually, would, would feed me breakfast after the long Saturday run. I would have had no business running a marathon if Ben did not help me get there. Um, and then when race day came, actually for whatever reason, I can't really remember, but we actually got separated pretty early in the race. Um, and I finally found him at one of those like little pit stops along the way around mile 20 or so. And you know, just thinking to ourselves, you know, what in the world did we get ourselves into? And so we said, okay, we're gonna finish together. We're gonna finish together, we can do this. And, and we did, and so we made a plan, and we said, okay, we're gonna run for this amount of time, or until, you know, that tree or whatever, and then we'll walk a little bit. And we just like kept doing that over and over and over, until finally we crossed the finish line. And persevering in the Christian life is the same. It's not, it's not accomplished only through community with others, but I am I'm not convinced that it can happen without it. Uh, but before, before I go much further, though, I, I feel like I need to make something clear that I think may have come up as a question from this text. Uh, and I, I hold, <laughs> I love the doctrine, as does this church, that Christians who have been saved by God through Christ for the forgiveness of their sins will not lose their salvation. I, I really believe that. And I think we do here. And there's a whole mountain of, of biblical evidence for this. And something that should bring us as Christians really great comfort. Uh, you know, Jesus said that, that no one will be snatched out of his hand. Uh, one theologian says, if it were possible that our sin could lead us to lose our salvation, we would have already lost it. <laughs> so the question is, why, why this warning and encouragement, right? Like, does, does it actually hold any weight, or is it just sort of like an empty threat? And I think, I think it is a real warning, and I think there is a real encouragement that needs to be had. Uh, because I think what the author is saying is, don't you take it for granted for even one second that because Jesus did all of the work for your salvation, now you can just abandon God and expect to receive a reward. Because the, the gospel is not based on our own work or our own merit, but without a, a what Dallas word calls a grace-driven effort every day, we will let ourselves fall away into disobedience and disbelief. And I think probably seen this in your own life too. And so the means by which we persevere, 
the means by which God preserves us is through these warnings and through these encouragements. It's through the Word of God, the Spirit, and through the church. And so let me encourage you to keep going. You may be struggling or on the verge of walking away, but let me say, don't give up. It is not in vain. There is something both in this life and in the one to come that will make the endurance of suffering feel like it was just a moment. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his book, Life Together, he wrote something so profound that has helped me make sense of what I have experienced. He says, the Christian needs another Christian who speaks God's word to him. He needs him again and again when he becomes uncertain and discouraged. The Christ in his own heart is weaker than the Christ in the, in the word of his brother. His own heart is uncertain, his brother is sure. Have you ever tried preaching the gospel to yourself uh, only to find that it wasn't very effective? And then your friend says the exact same words and all of a sudden they, they feel more true. And I think that's what Bonhoeffer is getting at. Uh, you know, when we when we practice communion here at Antioch, sometimes we you know we line up, we look at each other, and we say, "Christ's body broken for you," or we say, "You know, Christ's blood shed for you." And we already know that you think this, but there is something spiritual that happens when the word is spoken over you uh, by a brother or sister. Somehow it just seems to just go a little bit deeper than when we just rehearse it ourselves. And so this is the encouragement: don't give up. Don't give up. And by and by the means by which we can help each other not give up is, is speaking this to each other every day. So come to church on Sundays, right? Not, not because it makes you a good Christian, but because 65 people will be singing at you, tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. And you'll start to believe them in a way that you couldn't when you were just sitting on your couch. Or come to week of prayer tomorrow, right? We will literally encourage each other every day, every morning, to keep going, to make it another day following Jesus, and to pray for one another. Join a family group, right? Have, have your heart encouraged by eating and drinking and, and talking about the wonders of the Bible. This is the way that God designed the Christian life. And I, and I told you, I don't want to put an advertisement for any out here in the middle of my sermon, but I want you to see that there are there are very real reasons why that we go through all the trouble of putting these ministries on. Or you can think about it this way. The God, the God we worship exists in, in a trinity. Three persons and one God, which means that by His very nature, from the beginning, before before the world was created, God was in relationship with Himself. So therefore, that means that as humans who were created in His likeness, we were meant for community with others. And then one last thing I want to say about the encouragement: the primary goal of a marathon is to finish. It's not to be fast. So you want to find a good pace. No matter how slow it is, that just helps you put one foot in front of the other enough times to eventually cross the finish line. Uh, one of my favorite phrases in the Chinese language is man man lai, and it literally translates to slowly, slowly come. The goal of the Christian life is not to win a thousand people for Christ tomorrow, or to start a revival on UAD's campus, or to pray 50 hours a day. It's to follow Jesus that looks like, right? One day at a time, sometimes one hour at a time, until we receive our reward. You know, on my life, you have to, whatever, whatever pace it takes. 
encouraged, be encouraged not to give up on God's mercy towards you. Because we, we are so prone to quit. But, but actually hold on because, because God's grace will help get you there. So we've been warned and we've been encouraged. It's a final promise. Verse 14 says, For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. And then in uh, chapter 4, verse 8, it says, For if Joshua had given them rest, or if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So that there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works, as God did from his. The promise is this. Jesus has made a way for you to enter God's rest. Jesus has made a way for you to enter God's rest. The people in the wilderness, they were forbidden to enter the promised land. They were overcome with hardness of heart, unbelief, sin. But Joshua, he did get to lead the next generation into the promised land. But now the author of Hebrews says, Jesus is the better Joshua who gets to lead the people of God into a better promised land and one that includes joining God in his rest. And while I think that this rest can sort of partly be realized in this life as a sort of already but not quite yet kind of reality, um, there is no doubt that a greater day awaits us. The brokenness is all around uh, but the gospel of the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom of God is that he is making all things new under his rule and reign. He's making all things new. And one day, there will be no pain or sin or tears. And so we may be wandering in the desert now, wanting to give up. But Jesus has made a way by his death and resurrection so that anyone who calls him their own can enter the promised land of the new heavens and the new earth. So as Christians, we eagerly, eagerly wait this day. And until then, we walk by the Spirit in the presence of God, experiencing just, just a small foretaste, right? Just a small foretaste of what is to come when all things are made right. So this promise, this promise is very real. And Jesus has made a way for you to finish the race and to receive the reward. So don't give up. Don't give up. Jesus is worth it. And we're about to... Uh, Sing about this rest. I didn't plan this. This is so cool. We're going to sing, We will feast in the house of Zion. And Jesus has done it. He has made a way. He, we will see and taste this feast if we can encourage and tell each other to just hold on. So let us pray towards that end. Father, Lord, help us. Help us, God. We are so prone to quit and to give up. But Lord, we pray that you would help us not to harden our hearts, God, but to, to be faithful, to be obedient, to follow you. God, we just pray for your mercy on us and this church to, to keep going to be uh, the, the good soil that produces 30 and 60 and 100. Help us. We love you. We are so glad you joined us today. If you would like to stay connected with us, visit our website at antiochbhm.com where you can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube. If you have any questions about today's message, or would like to speak with someone about what was shared today, please email us at info at Go in peace.